What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. What is up, Lions? It's great to be here on a on a Monday. It's Sunday for me. I'm recording this right now in my Airbnb as uh, John Odermatt uh, continues to sleep in the room across the way. And uh, we have spent all day yesterday at the Human Action Bash. I got a ton of interviews, so I decided to rearrange the schedule a little bit. Uh, you'll see I posted yesterday the League of Liberty podcast that we recorded at Porkfest, and today you're going to get this episode with all my interviews that I did at the Human Action Bash. You're going to hear from Tom Woods, Dr. Murray Sabrin, Larry Sharp, Alex Merced, Joshua Smith, uh, Stephen Clyde, and TJ Roberts of Liberty Hangout. Uh, there's probably a couple I forgot because it was a long day, but it's all coming at you right now, and uh, as I said, because of all the uh, content we're getting here at the Libertarian National Convention and the Human Action Bash in New Orleans. Um, you're going to get more content than normal this week. That's all. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, folks. So I hope you enjoy my conversations from the Human Action Bash. All right. I'm here at the Human Action Bash talking to a uh, senatorial candidate in New Jersey, Mr. Murray Sabrin. Murray. Pleasure to meet you in person. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure, to, and thank you for inviting me to uh, speak with your audience. Absolutely. And uh, I actually interviewed you a few years ago, and uh, you decided to get back into politics once again and run for Senate. So what motivated you to, to run through, as the Libertarian candidate through the Libertarian Party for Senate? Well, I think we have uh, an opportunity to knock off uh, an incumbent Democratic senator who is one of the biggest warmongers in the state of New Jersey, one of the biggest warmongers in the United States Congress, who's bad on virtually every policy um, that we libertarians believe in, peace, liberty, prosperity, my uh, campaign slogan. He has, uh, supports vicious sanctions uh, uh, nations around the world, especially his own people, Cuba. He's a Cuban-American. He has just, just been admonished by the uh, Senate Ethics Committee for breaking federal law because of his failure to uh, fill out the financial uh, forms uh, accurately. And his good buddy, Dr. Melgen, is now in jail because Melgen defrauded the American taxpayer through Medicare of $100 million. Wow. And so and that's a publicly known uh, case, I guess? Oh, absolutely. And so Melgen is in jail. Uh, Menendez has been admonished by the Senate Ethics Committee, and he's running um, a campaign saying, elect me because I'm a, I'm a long-term senator. But in the Democratic primary, his opponent got 38% of the votes, spending virtually no money, who came out with a wonderful statement about me that wouldn't it be nice to have someone of integrity like Murray Sabrin to be wow, in the United States huge. Senate. And so that is a huge endorsement. You and don't see that happen very often. No, and she's a progressive. She uh, and I are 180 degrees apart on all economic issues. We're probably uh, on, on the same page when it comes to possibly foreign policy and civil liberties. But progressives are anti-establishment because they... W- want to take over the establishment and impose their economic views on the rest of society. We libertarians believe in live and let live. I've always believed that since I was a youngster in America. And so with my 59th anniversary of of being a U.S. citizen uh, just uh, passed, I'm asking everyone to donate $59 to the campaign. If we can get 10,000 libertarians to do this immediately, 
That'd be $590,000 for our campaign. The media will take notice. The sponsors of the debates in the fall will take notice, and we'll be, I'll be included in the debates. We'll give me an opportunity to confront Bob Menendez on his pro-war policy, confront the Republican uh, candidate who is a big supporter of uh, Big Pharma. He's a former pharma executive. And he's also a left-winger when it comes to a lot of issues that we oppose. So this t race is tailor-made for a libertarian who has experience, like I have, in challenging the Republicans and Democrats who have given us policies which are reflected in the $21 trillion national debt, the $1 trillion uh, budget deficits, and the massive welfare warfare state that we have. So my proposal to start downsizing the federal government is a 100% tax credit for every dollar you donate to a nonprofit or a house of worship so these institutions can help people become financially independent. Isn't that what we want for all Americans, to be financially independent, stand on their own two feet, rather than be depending upon food stamps and housing subsidies and all the other subsidies that the federal government provides, paid for by taxpayers or paid for by borrowed money? So what I'm proposing is a libertarian solution to the problems facing America. And so do you think that due to the vulnerability of those other two candidates that you have, you do have a real chance to get into these debates? Have you gotten a sense from the media there in New Jersey that they are speaking to you? Or are they speaking to your campaign? Or is there openness to actually getting you on a debate stage? Well, let, let me tell you what I just told the, um, the uh, Mises uh, caucus audience today. And um, it's going to get out there in the conventional media. Two weeks ago, one of Bob Hugan's uh, supporters, his personal stockbroker, called Bob Wenzel, who runs the Libertarian website, tar TargetLiberty.com, asking him what are Murray's three or four major issues. Bob Hugan will embrace them, and then this way Murray can get out of the race. That tells me that Bob Hugan has no core principles, no core values yeah. about governing, about good public policy. He just wants to pull from your ideas and uh, yeah, kind of push you to the and, side. Uh, he doesn't realize who he's dealing with. I've been promoting <laughs> these ideas for more than 40 years, right. 45 years. So this is getting out there in the general media. If we can let the people know that Bob Hugan is basically not fit to be a U.S. senator because he has no core beliefs, that he's pandering to the suburban moms and all the other uh, interest groups that he thinks uh, would support Bob Menendez, but he basically thinks he's going to be a Bob Menendez clone without the ethical um, uh, baggage that Bob Menendez has. So my job is to point out that we have two candidates named Bob, and the hashtag that we have on Facebook is two Bobs, no difference. <laughs> and if enough people come to our side, given that there are 2.5 million unaffiliated voters in the state out of the 5.8 registered voters, that's a huge pool of voters to, um, yeah. to, uh, to get to come to the polls to vote for us. The point that the media want to see from a third-party candidate is how much money you've raised, mm -hmm. which I understand from their perspective. If you're a serious third-party candidate and you're going to be uh, getting support from the grassroots, you should be able to raise money. But you don't have to raise a lot of money. Look what happened in New York City with um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Her incumbent uh, challenger, or I should say her incumbent uh, uh, representative, spent 18 times more than she did, and she still won. The polls had her down by 35%. Uh, she won by 15 The polls were all off. Who knows what the polls are in this race? There does seem to be something in the air right now politically where uh, underdogs of all types are actually getting an opportunity. And I do think that the Internet and 
podcasts and that sort of thing is really helping people get exposure that they just never could get before. So now you don't necessarily need money to compete. You just need to be smart. You need smart marketing and you need direct access to basically the, uh, the electorate. And that's something that you're definitely working on doing here uh, at the Human Action Bass and, and with all your appearances all over the place. I would love to have every listener of this podcast go to sabrinforsenate.com and make a $59 contribution or a multiple thereof if they can do that. This way we will have the resources, or at least begin to have the resources, that the media will say something is happening in this race, that we better pay attention to the Sabin for Senate uh, candidacy. This is what we need. Libertarians across the country donating right now $59 uh, to celebrate my 59th anniversary of becoming a U.S. citizen, where I took an oath to uphold the Constitution. That means all the Bill of Rights, no exception. Absolutely. So if I can get people across the country to go to SaberForSenate.com, and then in August is the 69th anniversary of our coming to America. If people donate 59 now, 69 in early August, and then at the end of August is my wife and I will be celebrating our 50th wedding anniversary. So we have three events coming up. If people donate 59, 69, and 50, or a multiple thereof, we will have the $2 million we need, I think, that will make us super, super competitive, and in a super, super competitive race where a libertarian is running, anything is possible, as we've seen with Bernie Sanders being competitive, as Donald Trump winning, right. when no one gave him a chance, not only not to win the Republican primary, but to win the general election. So this is a strange political era that we're in. It's the year of the outsider, where the era of the outsider, that is exemplified by uh, uh, the candidacies of uh, Sanders, Trump, and now um, Alexandria in uh, New York City. So please, go to sabrinforsenate.com, make your $59 contribution right now, Let's fill up the coffers. The media will take notice. They'll write stories about us that'll give us more free media. And then the sponsors of the debates in September will have to include us in those debates with the two major parties. Very well. So be sure to check out sabrinforsenate.com. Murray, it's been a blast. Excellent meeting you. And follow us on Facebook, Murray Sabrin for U.S. Senate. Great. All right. This is an experiment. It's our first live interview ever. <laughs> I'm here at the Human Action Bass with Alex Merced. Alex, pleasure yes. to meet you in person, finally. Yes, pleasure. It's been lovely to meet you guys in person. I mean, I met you earlier at the Pennsylvania Convention, but uh, yes, Mark, I finally get to meet you yes. in person. Also here with John Odermatt, host of Felony Friday. What's up? Yes. Uh, yeah. What, what brings you here to the Human Action Bass? I know you have stuff to do all day. You're still campaigning for uh, vice chair. I'm sure you got a lot of people to whip up the vote for. Yeah, I've been, but uh, you've taken the time to come out and speak here. So what's what's your motivation for being here today? Being here, one day, basically the, the Mises Caucus has been very supportive of my campaign for vice chair, which is you know which I appreciate. Also, they're throwing together an awesome event with an awesome lineup, and I'm pretty excited to see a lot of the speakers. So I wanted to stop by for a portion of it. I can't stick around for the whole thing because I do have an LNC meeting at, at 4 p.m. But I'm here to speak. I'll be speaking at uh, 1:45, which I'm really looking forward to. And basically, I've been spending every minute shaking hands with delegates, talking to libertarians from all across the country, and not win or lose. I want to make sure I know everybody. I want to have a relationship with everybody, because either way, we're building up this party together, and uh, I'm in this for the long haul. What have you learned the most uh, kind of on the campaign trail here? I know you've hit, what, how many conventions have you been to? Quite, quite a bit. Um, I think I hit up at least 10 states wow. over the last uh, six months, and it's been quite a journey. Uh, ballot access, big issue in a lot of states, um, but also just kind of learning the different sort of... Uh, the, the importance of communication within uh, between leadership and whether it's at the state level, the national level. Because a lot of times what I hear is like sometimes people concerns about the LNC that are things that are actually being done. The problem is that people aren't aware that they're being done. So it's so one of the things I really want to focus on um, on the LNC is really just make sure that we're, we're more visible 
And at the same time, also just being pro proactive in communication. So like, um, so it's not just making sure, hey, you, you people know what the LNC is doing, but also that the LNC knows what everybody else is doing and that they're basically acknowledging what people are doing and doing a lot of saying, hey, you're doing this, this activist over here is doing a great job. This candidate over here is doing a great job. Because sometimes that little extra touch can make all the difference whether someone stays in the party or leaves the party. We focus a lot on getting people in, but we need to focus more on keeping people in. So do you think the primary role of the LNC should be and the members of the LNC and that the chair, vice chair should be more organizational? Or do you really think there's also sort of a motivating and uh, aspect of things, a uh, media aspect? I mean, do you think you should really also be public figure, figureheads for the ideas of libertarianism as, as in addition to sort of being strategically planning for the party? Um, I think it can't be helped. When you're the chair and the vice chair of a national party, people are going to look to you as a, as a, as a pseudo spokesperson. So you do have a fiduciary responsibility to one, represent the party as best as possible, but also there's a opportunity to take advantage of the fact that you're going to have that visibility whether you want to or not regardless of what you feel the position should be people are going to look at you, look at you as a central figure but you can use that to help coordinate facilitate encourage etc so um yeah the job position is really to be sort of like a chair of a board of directors of the of the legal organization that is uh the that is the libertarian party but I think as chair or vice chair, there's, there's an opportunity to really take that position and and really use it to foster the environment and culture for growth so, speaking to you know a lot of probably a lot of delegates out there uh, watching this live stream, you won't get to shake all their hands. Maybe you will. Hopefully, you will. Trying. But Virtual handshakes. What is yeah. what is the one thing that you would tell them um, that you would either change or uh, something that you could implement to uh, improve the Libertarian Party? to grow the Libertarian Party and to grow the message of liberty? I think the most immediate change, of course, is that I'm, I'm, I'm going to aim to be less of a distraction. I don't want people being distracted from candidates and affiliates. I mean, when, I, when Pennsylvania candidates are out there talking to Pennsylvanians, they're going to do much better talking to them than the vice chair will be. So I don't want the vice chair to be a distraction to what candidates are saying on the ground, what, what members of affiliates are saying on the ground. So I think that's going to be a change from, from the previous uh, vice chair, where, the, the, where there were sometimes distractions. Um, really? <laughs> By Alex, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Just, you know, basically keeping an eye on And again, a lot of times it wasn't, people are free to say what they want. But basically, you you are in control of how a situation gets, if, whether it gets out of hand or not. There were opportunities to de-escalate in a lot of the situations that occurred in the past with the previous vice chair, where the opportunity to de-escalate wasn't taken. And that's that does speak to judgment, and that's something that's going to be a big departure with me, where basically my job is to prevent things from getting escalating to distractions. But at the same time, again, speaking to clearly on libertarian principles, and I'm going to be speaking about them in a way that's aspirational, that's motivational, that paints a picture of the, the hope and the better life that you can have um, in, in a broad sense so that way people can come get interested and then basically states, affiliates, members, candidates can fill in the details and really help paint a picture of basically in their local context what liberty can mean. Finally, uh, what what motivates you to do all this? You've been traveling from state to state. Excuse me, from state to state. Uh, you're whipping up votes. You're trying to get support for your campaign, and this is all for a position that will pay you no money. So, yes. what motivates you to put in all this work to uh, attain this position in the Libertarian Party and to, to become more of a leader in the Libertarian Party? Yep. On top of it, the spend, it costs, it costs you money. money right? It costs me money. <laughs> but um, I do it because I care. I mean, the only reason I've been since 2007, 2008, when I got swept up into this whole Libertarian thing. I mean, I didn't just learn like about the libertarian philosophy but I got immersed in the libertarian culture so that's why I always refer to myself as an all of the above libertarian like I just love everything about libertarianism there's no like one sect of libertarian beliefs I'm like oh I just want that to be in control you're no. not just a Rhodes guy yeah I just want the libertarian culture to permeate 
more broadly with more people and for there to be actual libertarian change. And I'm pushing out all angles, doing the podcasting, doing the, all the LP work, doing uh, – I'm also trying to write a book at the moment. <laughs> um, uh, just trying to push at any angle I can. If I can change one mind here, one mind there or set it up so that way someone else's mind gets changed even years down the road. Like if one of my YouTube videos that maybe have 10 views now gets viewed by somebody 10 years from now and it changes their mind on something, great. I'm just trying to plant those seeds so they can grow. You never know uh, who's going to stumble upon the plants or what I heard that you, you, exactly. that, you uh, that you lay out here. So, Alex, I know you got a lot to do, a lot of people to talk to. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Anytime. Best of luck. Thank you. Alex. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I'm here with Joshua Smith, candidate for the LNC chairmanship. Joshua, pleasure to see you again. I, I actually ran into you last time I was in New Orleans, yeah. totally by accident. Yeah. And uh, walking down the street chanting WWE. <laughs> <laughs> I was. He's, he's outing me live here on Facebook. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you learned a little thing about WWE chants. I, I think at the end of the night I was also chanting. Exactly. WWE See, it's addictive, but <laughs> it's not what we're here to talk about exactly. But uh, uh, you are running for the LNC chairmanship. You've been hitting the campaign trail. How many conventions have you been to? Last it's few seventeen months? state conventions, and I went to uh, twenty-one states in total. So I mean, I've, I've been all over the country, and that was in a five-month period. So. I talked to uh, Alex Merced, who's sort of like your unofficial running mate, I guess, for the, the vice chairmanship He's earlier. My vice chair pick, yeah, yeah, and um, I, I was asking him like, what what motivates him, what motivates you to be doing what you're doing, to be going around, flying all over the country, meeting other libertarians, uh, spending your own time and money, and uh, just for this position that we all know doesn't pay any money. Right. It's, a, it's actually going to cost you more money to have the position, traveling to LNC meetings and that kind of thing. So what motivates you to do this? What motivates you to do what you're doing? Yeah, man, at the, at the end of the day, I would give up everything I have for the liberty of others. And I, I think that um, to, to you know, move this country in a, in a more free direction is a, is a noble cause, and it's something that you know, I've wanted to do for 10 years, and I saw a unique opportunity to get myself into a position to really be able to affect change. And I think, you know, like I said several times over, the current LNC, there's several good members that care, uh, but there's several that are just apathetic and, and I'm tired of that dynamic stagnation. And so um, instead of trying to uh, bitch about it over and over and over again, I decided to step up and get it done. Uh, you have uh, a lot of ideas for things that should change within the party. Uh, we've ta you've talked about them in several interviews. We're not going to try to hit them all here. But if you did become LNC chairman, what do you think is the number one thing that you could personally do from that position to try to affect the kind of change that you want to see in the Libertarian Party? Yeah, absolutely. The first thing I'm going to do in my first month as chair is I'm going to reaffirm our principles and, and – uh, clearly define what this party stands for. Uh, if I got to put out a press release for that, I'll do that. It doesn't matter. Uh, we need to make sure that we put our principles at the forefront of everything that we do. Um, there's millions of libertarians in this country that don't think the libertarian party is libertarian. And we're going to change that. Um, after that, we're going to start working on fundraising and marketing because let's be honest, it's just something we've done historically bad. But when we get our principles uh, reaffirmed, we get that tightened up. You know, I have a, a policy team that I've been working on to, to get this clearly defined message put together. Um, then, then we can start working on marketing and, and branding and fundraising. So. Uh, as you well know, this has been a, a very contentious chair race at, no. at oftentimes. I mean, I, I know that's a, that's a bold statement, but uh, I, I think I'd be remiss uh, to my audience if I didn't at least ask you about the lawsuit that you recently filed against uh, one of your Yeah, absolutely. It's a, so it's not, actually, it's not actually a filed lawsuit yet. Okay. It's a, it was a soft draft. Um, of a lawsuit. For, I only know what I catch in the Facebook threads. Yeah, absolutely. So I was, I was, uh, you know, I was blackmailed personally by another chair candidate, Matt Kino. Um, he told me that if, if I didn't drop out of this race, he was going to release private chat logs from my publication. And, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's pure blackmail after eight months of defamation, um, and, and people harassing my family, uh, I got fed up. And, you know, if, if people want to be upset with me about, you know, 
having the balls to step up and, you know, uh, uh, really get in the face of the bullies in this party who are, you know, been bullying people all over the country for months. And that's fine. But, uh, you know, their actions have consequences and, and uh, a civil lawsuit is not something that libertarians should be too upset about currently, you know, so. Do you think that might affect this chair race at all? Because, you know, I mean, the subject of blackmail, it's kind of one of those libertarian issues where it's not really clear how libertarians feel about it. Um, you know, Walter Block has opinions about it. Other people have opinions about it. But do you think that might impact the way people view your race or, or anything like that? Look, I mean, the only people that I've seen actually upset about me sending a soft draft of a, of a, a lawsuit to Matt Kino are have been people that were never going to vote for me anyways. They, they're always looking for reasons to bitch about me. They just are. It's a constant daily thing, as you guys have seen. Um, so no, I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. I, you know, I've, I've got to already walk around and meet a bunch of people that are still committed to voting for me and they know about this stuff. And, and so, um, yeah, man, it's, you know, look after eight months of, of like I said, of just pure harassment and then a, a full on blackmail, uh, smear campaign. It's like, you know, you got to do something. You got to stand up to these guys, you know, and, and I would hope that people could see a chair candidate that's ready to stand up to the bullies in our party and think, you know, we need more of that. So. Uh, we are here at the, the Human Action Bash put on by the Mises Caucus, uh, put on by Michael Heiss, who's done an amazing job gathering all sorts of speakers. You'll be speaking here in a little bit. Uh, what do you think about the mission of the Mises Caucus specifically? You are sort of their endorsed candidate for the chairmanship. Uh, how do you view the role of the Mises Caucus and um, as it pertains to sort of your the ideas that you have as chairman? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, they're, they're principal. They're uh, Austrian economics guys who care about principal. And, and I think that's great. You know, we're doing outreach to pull hundreds and hundreds of new, not new, but old libertarians that want a party that reflects their principles. And so their outreach and their activism is fantastic. You know, sometimes people put the cart before the horse and, and that's always going to happen in any caucus, any libertarian group of people. But, um, as far as their activism, it is stellar that, you know, they've, they've grown this party and there's no, there's no denying it. And, and there's a, there's a inspired generation of libertarians that are ready to come to this party and do what's right. And, and it's because of the, the Miskakis. So, uh, Josh, uh, the vote is on Monday for the chairmanship, is, I believe. Yes. So, uh, why don't I give you a chance right now to give a final pitch to maybe any delegates or anybody out there that might be watching this live stream or catches it on the podcast. Uh, what is your final pitch? Why should delegates in New Orleans here, uh, vote for Joshua Smith for chair. I'm yeah, absolutely. That. We have a very strong culture in this party of people who uh, use the excuse, that's the way we've always done it. And this vote is going to come down to two separate distinctions. Either we continue to do it the way we've been doing it that's not working and hasn't worked for 46 years and has, got, uh, has been less effective over the last 18 years, or we, we, we vote to have new vision. And, and new purpose and and ideas that are proven that can move us forward and be more successful. And so I hope that you'll vote for me because I have those ideas. I have built those teams, those coalitions, and I've already started doing the things that I'm talking about. And um, if you give me the platform, I'll be able to implement them pretty easily. And uh, and we move this party forward going into 2020. Joshua Smith, it's been a pleasure. I know you got a lot of running around to do. Best of luck to you. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> All right, I am here uh, live at the Human Action Bash with a couple new friends of Liberty. Uh, we got Stephen Clyde of Peace and Liberty Podcast, as well as Liberty Hangout, and TJ Roberts, also of Liberty Hangout. Gentlemen, how's it going? Good, man. Really good to be here. It's been an awesome time so far. I've met hundreds of thousands of friends so far, it feels like, so it's been awesome. TJ? 
Uh, uh, you had an interesting uh, story, I think, on, on the way here, huh? Did you get a uh, ride to a certain speaker? Yeah, I did, actually. Who had some um, so, uh, Scott Horton of antiwar.com had a, some car difficulties. So, Jesse Fullington and myself, we grabbed our car from NOLA, drove up to where he was, and uh, made sure that he got down here for the event. So, uh, we've been <coughs> it's the sound there. of me choking on my Jack and Coke. Don't mind me. <laughs> <laughs> We give it to you real and raw here, folks. So uh, I don't know, for me, I don't know about you guys, but for me, the, the coolest part about being here at the LNC, and it was similar last weekend when I was at Porkfest, is just meeting all these libertarians that I know on the internet <laughs> and then seeing that they are actually real humans in real life and actually interacting with them. And I think it helps us really build a sense of community. I and mean, whether you're at the LNC or just here for, to be at the Human Action Bash, to realize that these are real human beings that share such similar beliefs and similar ideas about how the world should change and how we should interact with each other, hopefully without violence, it's really a, a pretty cool thing. Yeah, and we talked about this on your show too, you know, just people that come up to you in real life are like, oh, I watched your show. It feels crazy. It's it's always a crazy feeling to do that. So yeah, the fact that I'm recognized by both my hair and voice is still very strange, strange <laughs> feeling to me. They say you got the best they'll hair. In the see game, my hair, man. or they'll hear me talking and be like, "Mark Claire." It's uh, it's so strange to me because I mean, I started podcasting out of the back of my house with nothing but a shitty microphone and my laptop like five years ago, and now I just have a slightly better phone, <laughs> slightly better microphone, and my laptop, and I'm still doing it. And then I'm suddenly just here because we have Patreon supporters who have paid us money to so we can buy this equipment, this Zoom H6 here that we're recording on right now, who paid for our trips, paid for our, our lodging. I mean, this is all our listeners that have done this, and it's, it's absolutely incredible to not just do this on my own, but also have so many people out there supporting the work we're doing. I know that it's the same feeling well, you guys well, Like we said, we, sometimes you're not even aware of how many people were out there, and it's just like, well, there's actually a lot of people out there listening and watching but yeah, um, I guess the reason we're all here is to support our friend Josh and Alex. And, you know, we, I guess most of us are sick of sorry work. We're sick of the same status quo. So that's why we're here. Absolutely. That's one thing with uh, Liberty Hangouts. We are in, we've been incredibly critical of Nicholas Sarwark, Bill Weld, just the establishment wing of the Libertarian Party, if that makes sense, where they're trying to water it down to be a party of washed-up Republicans that have never made any effective change. If we're actually going to reach out to the masses, we have to be unfiltered in our in our advocacy of complete and total personal and economic freedom. That's something that uh, that Scott Horton was just talking about on his on his mere moments ago. So yeah, it's incredibly important to realize how effective it is to tell the truth. Yeah, I think you're right. And this is uh, I, I talked about this in a speech I gave at the uh, L.A. County, uh, Los Angeles County Libertarian Party convention a few weeks ago. Uh, that it's it, the reason Ron Paul inspired so many of us to become active. I mean, I was already considered myself a libertarian, but what Ron Paul did by speaking boldly and speaking truth to power, it inspired me to speak out as well. But it used to be being a libertarian was just a private thing that I thought in my head, and I would read books and just think this to myself. And there was nobody else like me in the world that I knew of until this person started speaking boldly on a stage where no one agreed with him, where everybody mocked him, uh, where the commentators mocked him, and he was seen as a joke. But to millions of people, millions of people, I'm sure, were inspired by seeing him in the face of all of that, in the face of that mockery, speaking boldly and being un unafraid and refusing to back down when, when challenged. You know, There was the Rudy Giuliani moment when he said, Mr. Paul, I'm sure you need to take that statement back. And he said, no, I'm actually going to double down on it because you yeah. don't know what you're talking about. It reminds me of the H.L. Mencken quote, Pretty much everyone realizes that the government's something that lies outside of us. The government isn't us. So it's pretty straightforward uh, with the Libertarian Party that when you see someone like Ron Paul, you don't get the sense that you're talking to a politician. You're talking to a real flesh-and-blood person. And obviously, he, he's not the best talker in the world. He stumbles when he does. But that's, that's why we love him, because he's so human. He's so not a politician. 
in that sense. Right. And that's one of the first things that we have to realize. Like, And the whole not a politician is one of the biggest things because Ron Paul is honestly one of the most civil people you can ever talk to, which I think is just incredibly important to realize that the public sector, the government in general, is the cause of such incivility in our society as well. Right. To where we're talking about how are we going to use force to create a society that we see as desirable. Well, for one, I would say that we could eliminate the violence within a society, and the quickest way to do that is to eliminate the federal government, I believe. So, so are you a are you an early supporter of the Cocast 2020 campaign? <laughs> I'm willing to that say that is his plan. Right that now, is his main plan to dissolve the federal government. Right now, we know for certain that Adam Kokesh will run for president in and 2020. we're pretty sure that Bill Weld guy is We're pretty sure Bill Weld is going to run. And assuming no one else runs, I would be willing to endorse Adam Kokesh for president right now. Given those options. And then whether it's like Adam Kokesh or Larry Sharp, these are just guys that they get better and better and better over time. I think, you know, we heard Larry Sharp. He gave one of the best speeches of the night. Larry's incredible. He's, he's incredible. a 20-minute podcast in here, and I'm just sitting there captivated by the man. I mean, he he'll has, tell he you him, a way to communicate. He'll tell you himself, though, he's only been a libertarian a few years. Imagine some people have been libertarian since the 70s and they still are pretty not solid. And I gotta say, I know we're all critical of um, the past several candidates. Yeah. But, you know, to. Relative to what? I mean, they're great compared to the rest. Exactly. It's all all relative. But, you know, Larry told me, you know, he came into this because of Gary Johnson. So while we libertarians aren't necessarily impressed with his performance and his communication of the ideas, there is something to be said of just maybe having a libertarian candidate out there, even like like uh, earlier Walter Block was saying, you know, if he could choose to have a Bob Barr-led libertarian party or no libertarian party, he, and this was right after he criticized Bob Barr very heavily, he said he'd rather have the Bob Barr libertarian party just because someone is out there saying the word. Um, I don't know if I agree or don't, but, um, you know, because when you're saying a word so much and then the beliefs don't match up with that word, well, maybe that actually hurts the movement. I don't really can, know. But can I explain uh, why I disagree, actually? Yeah, because one of the issues is that if we're going to start giving the line of, Bob Barr is a libertarian. We're going to take people that actually have libertarian beliefs and make it less desirable. The top criticism that I had with Gary Johnson and Bill Weld were their upright rejection of private property. In fact, with their ability to say that you should be forced to serve every individual if you are operating a business. And that right there is so fundamentally opposed to the very notion of liberty. The fact that we tolerated that, it's advocating for the initiation of force. If you're a member of the Libertarian Party, you sign an oath saying you do not believe in the initiation of force or the threat thereof for personal or political aims. And to allow someone such as Bill Weld, especially who not only supports forced association, but gun control and supported the war in Iraq, I believe that it's incredibly hypocritical to make the claim of them being the party of principle whenever party itself is becoming a principle, unfortunately. I'm not sure I've even see, seen Bill Weld say what everyone says now, that it, oh he, he, he regretted that decision to support it. I, I mean, maybe he has. I don't want to you know, say he hasn't. He's never publicly disavowed. I've never seen him do that, whereas even mainstream politicians now, I mean, I think John McCain said, said it might have been a mistake the other day, probably not. But. And then he goes in and he advocates for invading Syria oh, the very next day. Right. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> If we're talking about Gary Johnson and Bill Weld as people, they're probably nice people. I'm not denying that. Um, the fact that Bill Weld has said he's been in favor of bump stocks, he, he actually said, quote, uh, handguns are as much of a problem as rifles. And so someone was I was arguing with not someone helping, the other Bill. I was arguing with someone the other day and they were saying that, oh, you know, Bill Weld's changed his mind, like he he wouldn't support any gun control measures at all. I'm just like I pulled I showed them an article from twenty sixteen. This is, this, this is not is, ancient history. This is, this is during the campaign. I really don't believe people change that much in two years. So, you know, I don't hate them as people, but I think uh, these are the people that are representing us. So why, do, why are libertarians called idiots so much? Why, 
just anything you can say about libertarians, it, it, it kind of comes back to that because they're representing us. But um, yeah, like I said, I think the reason we're all here, we just we want to have a better libertarian party. We um, want what's best for liberty. No yeah, what. yeah. Party think, or no party. So would you say, I mean, you probably would not be here was if it were not for the Human Action Bash, if it were not for Joshua Smith, Alex Merced, people you're supporting. So, I mean, do you see uh, what the Mises Caucus is trying to do? I mean, I know a lot of people see them as which is crazy because they're Ron Paul fan libertarian people um, who support Austrian economics, all very libertarian things. But many people seem to see what the Mises Caucus is doing is sort of invading the party or you know coming in to kick people out, which uh, I don't really think is the case from talking to the people that are in the, in the leadership. What they do want to do is bring solid principles back to the party and, and hold those highly. Um, so do, do you think, I mean, I think you're kind of an example here. I mean, will you guys become more involved in the party if, say, Joshua Smith is the LNC chair, if, say, um, they get a really solid libertarian candidate um, in place in a couple of years. Can I go first? I'll uh, go first. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think that's one very important. Uh, last August, I left the Libertarian Party. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever Nicholas J. Sarwark did, launched his despicable attack on the Ludwig von Mises Institute against Tom Woods, I said to hell with it. I'm not renewing my dues for, to the party. I'm done with it. But Joshua Smith changed my mind on that. No, he, they're not invading the party. They're bringing the party back. They're actually bringing liberty back to the party because let's be honest here. Nicholas Sark, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he's a politician. He stands up there. He is the he, he's as trustworthy as a used car salesman, and I think that's a, and that's one of the first issues there. We're, we have to bring back a principled libertarian party if we want a viable libertarian party. Okay, if we want a watered down Republican party, we could just vote for John Kasich for president. And the fact that they call us extremists says a lot, right? Because we're just the people that actually agree with the non-aggression principle. Like, like you said, that thing we actually signed before we enter the libertarian that party. Thing that's in the platform. That's and, supposed to be the basis of the entire party. And the running joke with Gary is like that Aleppo gap. It's probably, oh, I've, he's been asked about this damn, damn NEP thing so much. Like, oh, well, what is a nap, you know? So he, <laughs> Aleppo, he thought it was Gary a nap. needed more naps. During the oh, so. In fairness, I could use a nap, too. It's uh, it's only the second day I'm here, and I'm already exhausted. So yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> this week's going to take its toll, I think. Yeah. Like, so with all honesty, if what the Mises Cock is doing is an invasion of the Libertarian Party, then the Libertarian Party in America is a misnomer. Because if they believe that what the, these Libertarians are doing is an invasion, then they are not an actual libertarian, they are a moderate, they are advocates of smaller government whenever the government is already massive and we have a worldwide empire that we need to start opposing, but they are absolutely silent on that issue, it so seems. Uh, what about, uh, what kind of speakers, who have you met here today that's uh, excited you guys the most? Uh, who are your libertarian heroes that you've been finally able to meet? I, I finally got to meet Tom Woods today, which was awesome. <laughs> this is the first time you're meeting Tom Woods? First time. I've met, I've interviewed him twice on my show, but just, you know, meeting somebody in person is just, and the amazing thing, the coolest thing to me, he was like, Mark Claire? I'm like, wait, why are you the one recognizing me? This is not how this is supposed to work. Yeah. I've looked up to you for like 15 years. This is so crazy. So. Oh, we had the pleasure of going out to dinner with uh, Tom and Bob and, you know, pretty much all the Mises Caucus last night, so that was a pleasure. I uh, met Larry Sharp. I was out with friend, a friend at dinner. I saw that picture. I was like, at the wrong dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we ended up getting over there, but it's just been an awesome time so far. Uh, no matter what event it is, just like you said, knowing other people were actually out there. We're, we're not just these Facebook warriors. You know, we actually do want to get out there and change the world and promote better ideas. Right, absolutely. Um, I mean, Tom Woods is an absolute hero to me. Getting to see him again is fantastic. I met with Larry Sharp again. Um, 
got to meet Eric July from Backwards, who's going to have a concert tonight, which yes. is going There's to be. There's going to be a mosh live... pit in that ballroom. It's going to be interesting. Oh, oh, gonna... I'm, I'm starting that mosh pit. Um, it's and be it, consensual. It will too. be live streamed on Liberty Hands, so please tune into that. If you that enter course. a mosh pit, you have essentially consented to minor assault, and I think we all. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, absolutely. If you consent, it's not a it's not a problem. And uh, coming up, I guess we got, uh, after we wrap up the show, we got Bob Murphy going up there. We got Tom Woods, and I think uh, then Backwards is going to close things out. So Yes, we do. It's pretty exciting. You guys got anything else you want to tell the live audience out there or the recorded audience for uh, this podcast? Any other thoughts? As we talked about before, we have no plan here. We just decided to sit down and, and start talking because we had a few extra minutes to stick out. Well, but if anyone's out there. Promote all your stuff, though. Tell everybody where they can find uh, you know, Liberty Hangout and everything you want to promote. Yeah, so you can like us on Facebook. It's uh, Liberty Hangout. Uh, pretty obvious. Um, our website is libertyhangout.org. We sell taxation is theft hats, communism is in cool hats. We've been big on guns recently because we were part of a little bit of a controversy involving some chick bringing a rifle onto campus oh, yes. for graduation. Ms. Yes, Miss Caitlin. And so that's our grassroots director. And we're, hopefully we're going to get involved on campus a little bit and start making some changes to where students actually have the right to defend themselves for that a change. That would be nice. That would be so, nice. Steve, yeah, and just, guys, don't give up. Don't give up. Well, it's an honor to be a writer for Liberty Hangout. I'll also plug, you know, you can check me out at 4 com. I'm the host of the Peace and Liberty podcast. It's really good to meet you, Clay, uh, Mark, and everyone else here. It's just been a blast. So. Yeah, it's this has been amazing. Awesome. Uh, gentlemen, Stephen, it's been a pleasure. TJ, it's been a pleasure. We much. will be continuing to hang out here at the Human Action Bass. We're on tables next to each other. And then, uh, I don't know, we'll probably be on Bourbon Street at some point, I would, I would imagine. Yeah, we'll probably end up yeah, there yeah, tonight. Yeah, <laughs> to upload some of this audio. Folks, enjoy. All right, we are live here, and I am with, uh, to my left, Mr. Larry Sharp. Larry, how are you? How are you, sir? It's great to see you in person uh, once again. We had we yes. shared some tacos in L.A. a couple we of weeks ago. We shared tacos with Dollar Jason tacos. Stapleton we did. also. Yes, mm-hmm. we did. And now we are Another here cool at, a, at the, the Human Action Bash here in New Orleans. And uh, what brings you, obviously we know what brings you to the uh, Libertarian National Convention. What brings you specifically to the Human Action Bash? Uh, are you uh, excited about the work that the Mises Caucus has been doing and trying to sort of excite people to get more involved or sort of, sort of reignite the Ron Paul movement within the Libertarian Party? Well, I was going to say it's for tacos, but there's no tacos here. So <laughs> I didn't come for the tacos. That did not come for, yes. Um, New Orleans I, is not known for its tacos. To be full with you, I, I came because I was invited, which is an important issue. You might say, well, that's the only reason. No, but I was invited, and the Mises Caucus is a very strong movement in the LP, in the Liberty Movement, and I want to support all of them to include the Mises Caucus. It isn't that I think the Mises Caucus itself is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. It's great, and I'm happy I'm here. I love what they're doing. I just want to make sure that we are united as we possibly can be. We are a family in the movement, and we fight like family. We do. We fight like brothers and sisters. We do. But we have to still be able to, at one point, someone's got to be able to say, okay, okay, we're fighting, but we're all in the same family, guys. Come on. Right? Outside of this family, there is a real enemy that we have to stand against. There is a real group of people who are trying to stop us and hurt us. We can fight about how to do that, but at one point, we have to be still together and close ranks because the enemy does close ranks. And in fact, the two enemies that we have will often close ranks together against us. So we have to make sure we can close ranks. So I'm here to make sure we can close ranks. All right. And uh, you did uh, maybe a week or two ago, you endorsed Joshua Smith for chairmanship of the 100%. LNC. So why did you make that decision? Was it, I mean, uh, was it obviously uh, you're pretty much down to Nicholas Sarwark and um, yes. Joshua Smith. So what is it about Joshua? Obviously, Nick's been the chairman for the last two terms, about yep. four years. The party has seen a lot of growth, a lot of uh, record number of voters with the Johnson campaign. Yep. What do you think needs to be different that you weren't seeing under Nick that you do believe you will get under Joshua? Yeah, it's two things. The vote that I see is a vote for either status quo 
or a vote for an opportunity for something great. Nick has shown who he is. He's not a bad chair. People think that I'm somehow anti-Nick. I'm not anti-Nick in any way, shape, or form. He's not a bad chair. He's just an okay chair. He's a good operator, which is not bad, and we need operators. But a chair, I think, should not be an operator. A chair should be an executive, which is someone who is going to motivate and move and have big vision, lead from the front. Nick doesn't do that. He leads from the rear. He's, I call it ghost leadership, right? He just makes sure things work, but that's it. But all the problems that we've had this last year with people at LNC, I didn't see anybody step up. I would have liked someone to step up besides me. I would have liked someone to do that, something besides me. I would have liked to see an opportunity to make some great change. We, we, we make growth. You're right. We make 2 or 3% growth. We'll make it again. If Nick is chair, we'll make 2 or 3% more growth in the next couple of years. We'll do that. But will there be some great grand vision? No, there won't be. That's not who Nick is. He's not going to give us great grand vision. Will Josh do that? Yes, he already has. He has big vision, big ideas. And what I always get from people is, well, how is it going to work? I don't care. Let's figure it out. I have big vision and stuff, and mine's going to be working. Somehow I've been been executing for two years on stuff that no one thought could be done. I'm doing it. Did someone go, well, Larry, how can you do it? I have an idea. Put your mind to it and do it. How about someone says we can do it so other people get behind that person and start helping him do it? A great plan that no one cares about or wants to follow is a useless plan. A mediocre plan that everybody wants to follow will eventually be great because we all want to follow it. That's the goal. And what I don't see from our current leadership is it is any real plan. It's just let's go status quo. Look, if you like status quo, if you like how the how it's currently being run, next your guy. The world's not gonna end. But if you want something big, if you want change, if you want real marketing, if you want it to happen faster, if you want to take advantage of the holes we see right now in the R&D old party, we need change. Joss is that change. Look, on a personal note, I don't see support even coming to me. And I'm one of the biggest campaigners running in the country. You mean and, support from the LNC itself? Yes. From the Libertarian I look, Party? Look, I literally have, I'm, I'm literally at the convention. At the convention, there's a good one-third or half the people who are saying, what are you running for again? How in the hell is that possible? How bad is our communication that people are actually saying that? That's an embarrassment. And that's within the party, the within, people that should know the, every prominent of candidate, the people hopefully. who are not people outside. Of course they have no idea. <laughs> right. I get that. Completely. Bourbon Street, they don't know who they you are. They have no idea. No, not supposed to. They did. I'd really be impressed. <laughs> But these are people who are in the party, delegates who are showing up and don't know what I'm running for. And sadly, I know what half the people are running for at least. So this entire country, I mean, oh, you're running for sheriff. Oh, you're, I know. I know. But the people here don't know. So do you think that the Libertarian Party and, and the leadership of the LNC should be really just pr- focusing on certain candidates to promote? Obviously, if you have you know thousands of candidates across the country for different positions, it's, it's impossible to put that kind of weight behind everybody. Yes. How do you think they should go about selecting? Obviously, you have a very prominent campaign in New York, yeah, so absolutely. to me, it makes sense to include one of yours, but what do you think the criteria should be? Obviously, there are limited resources. What should the criteria be for a candidate that, that receives direct support, direct promotion from the LNC? Yeah, it's a great question, and here's the issue. As a general rule, I'm, I'm, I'm not a fan of the 2,000 candidate plan. I think it does nothing but hurt us. 2,000 candidates, particularly when there's like five months left to election day, I mean, what are they going to do? They're going to be paper candidates, which means you're going to have people who no one cares about. And the argument is, if we have 2,000 candidates, then people will sit up behind them to support them. That has never happened, still isn't happening. But not just that. The idea as well is marketing, right? People will see our name on a ballot. It doesn't matter. It means nothing to them. 
because there's no name. By, people don't come. Sorry. Most people, the vast majority, don't come to our party because I think about freedom. They come <laughs> because of a person. Right. They heard someone speak, whether it was Harry Brown or Ron Paul or Gary Johnson or insert guy or gal here, Mary Ruwert. They heard somebody speak and said, ah, that person makes sense to me. And then they came to the movement. We need more of those people. The, if you're looking at actual supporting, uh, to be forward, I'm actually radical on this too. I'm not a big fan of the LNC giving money directly to candidates in general. Mm-hmm. But can they support them, talk about them, push the media, attack the media outlets that aren't giving them, right. attack the polling groups who aren't polling them? Yes, but that's generic that will help everybody. But if you want to help certain ones, very simple. Is there a road to impact? Is there a road to victory? A road to either, a real road to impact or victory, help that candidate. I'm on the ballot because no one else went a ballot. Ignore that candidate. It is a waste of our time and money. And the reason is, I see it myself. I have people saying, Larry, I can't be in your campaign because I'm running in my district. And I say, great. What, you have a team? No. Do you have a chance of victory? No. Do you have an impact? What's that? Why is that person not so on my campaign? So are you really running, right? Why is that person not on my campaign or someone else's campaign who can actually That's run? That's time, money, resources that all could lost. be all settled into a bigger campaign that can really have more impact. And the impact I'm talking about is twofold. Number one. Can I move policy? Can I move an issue? Can I get people to notice the name of the brand? But number two, and the more important piece for the growth of this movement is, can I build infrastructure? And infrastructure means not more money. Infrastructure means people who know how to run a campaign, individuals who know how to be a campaign manager, who know how to be a communications director, who know how to make events. You mean almost like a real political party would do Yes. And we wonder why people aren't rushing to our party. It's not because of our values. That's the because our platform isn't good enough. That is not the reason. It's because we have no infrastructure to offer them. With seven, eight, 10, 12 powerful campaigns like Jeff Hewitt, who's a rock star in California, right? Uh, Craig Bowden in Utah. These guys have real people, real campaigns, real impact. Now, I don't know if Craig can actually beat Mitt Romney. I don't know. But I know that man is making some serious mm-hmm. impact. He's building a team. He's a rock star in Utah. Got Murray Saburn in New Jersey, Murray too. Sabrin. I talked to him oh earlier. God, he's, he's amazing. He's doing amazing work. These are the people we should be focusing on. Dale Kearns in Pennsylvania. Kearns. I went and helped him raise money yeah. about a year ago. Yes, Dale Kearns, another great. I mean, these, why doesn't everyone know about these guys and gals who are rocking and rolling, who are making real impact. This is what I'm talking about. And people don't even know them. This was, These guys are building infrastructure because when Murray's done with his campaign, win, lose, or draw, he's going to have half a dozen people who are motivated, excited, who've learned their lessons, who know how to run a libertarian campaign. People say, but we'll get them from the left to the right. We can't. Left or right campaigners always do negative campaigning because they focus on people who usually vote. And when people who usually vote, they vote because of fear. So you do negative campaigning. That one's bad, so you're the only one left. That's correct, right? I know he killed one person, but, you know, (laughs) I just maimed the guy. So since I just maimed him. I just tortured him for a few hours, but he lived. I I let him go. So so you vote for me. That's where we are now. But a libertarian candidate can't do that. A libertarian candidate has to get people who don't vote and has to be positive. And that means getting people who don't vote. And that means hope and real possible change. Different kind of campaigning. You only learn that by running a libertarian campaign. The more times you run real campaigns. Look, I have seven directors in my campaign. Those seven directors next year are seven campaign managers. That's building infrastructure. And then in 2019, they will each have four or five or six. 
that's a bunch more campaign managers because they're learning. By 2020, we actually have a series of campaign managers, communications directors, so that when we get our good, our good candidate, which I hope is actually someone who has a lot of celebrity who can pull people, when that happens, all the people running underneath them will have actual campaigns that can take advantage of that person's celebrity. We can rock and roll, make real impact. And in 2020, this party can actually get turn one state gold, maybe two or three. I want electoral, I want electoral victory in 2020. We do that. That branding value is we show that, that, that map. It'll be red and blue with one or two pops of gold. <laughs> that will hook us up for 2024. 2024 becomes a real impactful campaign because we become real in 2020. By 2024, we will have won a couple congressional seats. We may have run a Senate seat. We will have people who will be in federal government. So by 2024, we make real impact. By 2028, we can take the presidency. So you're looking at this uh, kind of like your vision for uh, why you support Joshua Smith. You're looking yes. at this because you have a grand vision for how uh, this party yes. can grow over time. It's not just about your campaign right now or this election cycle or even the 2020 election cycle. It's really about building a true third party that is not even called a third party, hopefully, That's anymore. Correct. It's just the Libertarian Party. That's correct. Here's the Libertarians. We have to take them seriously now. And, and the, the party for the past 40-some-odd years has never done that. Never done that. We, we should have had a 10-year plan 30 years ago. Right? We should have had one 30 years ago, if not then 20 years ago, if not then 10 years ago, not five years ago. We don't. Now we do. So now. And right. that's what I'm saying. Now we do. I do want that to happen. Uh, Larry, why don't we get a quick update on, uh, as we mentioned, you are running for the governorship of New York, not the yes. Senate, as, as uh, someone uh, yes. My Senate <laughs> campaign <laughs> asked you about earlier. It is a disaster. The Senate campaign is a total disaster, it but is. the gubernatorial campaign is doing a little that better. That is rock and roll. So why don't we get a quick, a quick yes. update on what's been going on with there? I know you've been in some uh, major polls recently, so what's yeah, happening? So we are polling right now. Uh, among people who know who I am, which is only about 23% of New York. It's like voters. 20% of the LP that's here. That's right. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually polling at 24%. Wow. When it comes to the entire New York And that's state. an official, like, you know, yes. taken seriously poll, not, a, yes. in, not in an that, internet quiz or anything in like that. In that poll, uh, 51% self-identified as Democrat, 30% self-identified as Republican, and 19% self-identified as nothing or independent or just none of the above. So that's a good snapshot of New York State. New York State is a blue state, and most people are Democrats. So it's a good snapshot, right? And a lot of people, and 70% of New Yorkers don't vote. So a lot of people are independent or don't care. So with that snapshot of an election, it's 6% overall. Now, why does that matter? Because most libertarians in my state poll under 1%. So I'm polling 12 times better than the average libertarian. That's not bad. That's a good I'm not deal. a math guy, but that sounds Correct. pretty good. Plus, we need 50,000 votes for ballot access. There'll be about 5 million voters. Polling 6%, that's 300,000 votes. We got that. That's rear view mirror now. So now the question is, how much do we get? But the most important piece of this, of the people who know me, I poll at 24%. So if everyone knew me, I'd be polling at 24%. That sounds good, but here's the most important piece. This is a five-way race. There'll be five people running in this race for, for governor. With five people running for a governor, New York is a plurality state, meaning that you don't have to have 51%, just more than the rest. 30% could win this thing. So I'm six points from actually winning this thing, assuming that I can get my name out to everyone. That's the, that's the, that's the Mount Everest I have to climb. Right. And I'm going up. Everyone else is going down. No one else who's running can cross anything, can get, you know, non-traditional voters. Only I can. I'm the one who's campaigning the most. So I'm going to go up. Who knows how much? If I can get my name out and raise six points, I can win this thing. Don't be wrong. I'm not fooling myself. It is going to be easy. It is coming Mount Everest. 
But some people climb Mount Everest. It does happen. <laughs> so this now went from a year ago when I was thinking, how much impact can I make to, wow, I've got a shot at winning this thing. There is something there which didn't exist a year ago. So that's really important that I, can, I actually have a shot at winning. But here's the best part. I have a chance of actually beating the Republican. So it could be Democrat, Libertarian, Republican. And that in itself is huge. That huge. would literally, that would change New York State overnight because how New York State work runs is the people who run the, the elections are the top two parties. So in theory, it would throw the Republicans out of the government. They won't let that happen. They'll just rewrite the rules. Of course, they'll change the rules. Of course they will. But it's fine. When they change the rules, they'll have to add third parties right. because they will be one. Mm -hmm. So they'll change the rules to create add third parties. And now we, you're in again. Bingo. Well, it it right. changes everything and allows all the parties to have much more say. It will change. It will make national news. Libertarian Party is viable. When the Libertarian Party is viable, you will see everything else change. People ask me all the time, Larry, don't you worry about ballot access? But no, I don't. Why? Because the goal of ballot access is a loser's goal. What do you no. mean by that? Ballot access means nothing. We fight to keep it. Because it seems to be the main thing I hear about and it's amongst libertarian circles. bad and no more. Why do I want to say, I hope we can play with you. That's our goal. Can we play with you? Can we play with you? That's our goal? Right. That's embarrassing. No. The goal is victory and we will get ballot access. Win. The cure-all. The panacea. Because if you're only victory. aiming to get that little amount for ballot access, then that's what you're aiming at. Bingo. If you're aiming for the top, maybe you don't get to the top, but you're probably going to be above that yes. little, little target that you would have aimed for earlier. Absolutely. Shoot for victory. You'll get ballot access. Right. And here's the remember. This is all not really about laws and rules. It's really about popularity. That's what it's about. If people want to see us and want to vote for us, the rules will change, period. That's how it works. If all of a sudden people say, we want third parties, no matter what, damn you two-party people, if they do that, we'll have third parties because otherwise they'll get voted out of power. People won't give them money. And whether you, you, know, you're, whether you think your guy or gal is a good representative or not, one thing I know they care about is winning. And if all of a sudden they can't win, they'll change. Not because they have principles, because they don't. But they do, but they do care about winning. So the, the cure-all is popularity and winning. But the hard part to that is, and this is how the party struggles, but I'm happy we struggle in this, it is to do this without losing principles. Right. And that is really hard. I know it is. But I was I did the Reason magazine. I think was it Reason or maybe it was uh, Ruben Report. I forgot which one which asked me the question, you know, libertarians are always fighting. And I said, I'm glad we're fighting. And it sounds crazy, but I am. I'm glad we fight because if you go to the Democrat or Republican Party, there's no principle. Whoever runs that tribe, they are the party. So in a case of Trump, or maybe it's Bernie now, I don't know who runs Democrats right now, maybe Schumer, whoever does it, right? But whatever they think becomes the party line. That's the party. That's the principles, right? right? The leader, whoever is the, is the new king. And of course, look, a, a Reagan Republican is not a Bush Republican, is not a Trump Republican, right? They're different Republicans because different heads of the tribe. The Libertarian Party actually has an ideology. I can call myself King of Libertarians if I want to. That's <laughs> not going to go over well at all. I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. I'm saying, I could, in theory, if I want to, I could do that. Not going to work. People are going to beat me up and fight me as they should mm -hmm. 
I would hope they would and as they should because our party is not run by an individual. It's run by a philosophy or a principle. And we fight over that principle, and that's a good thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't fight. We just go, well, whatever. Nick Sarwark is in charge or Gary Johnson is in charge, and therefore that's the party. And I'll sit back and watch them do what they I'll do. All right. Them, and that's a bad idea. I'm glad we don't do that. So it, we're very different in that regard. We actually have a principle that we're trying to fight over. So I'm happy we fight. I just hope that we fight internally and then decide to close ranks. Channel that energy against, the, as you would say, the, the true enemies, the, uh, the, the duopoly. As, that's uh, correct. One of the signs we'll probably display all over this town, stop the duopoly. So that's yes. ultimately what we're here to do. 100%, yes. Right, focus well, on that. Let's take our anger once we've figured out our issues and then focus on the real enemy, which is the duopoly. Right, well, Larry, I wish you the best of yes, luck, not you. only with your campaign, but yes. with uh, all the schmoozing and uh, maybe some boozing. I don't know. I'll be doing some boozing. Shaking hands, over kissing the babies. There you go. Larry, it's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. All right, I am here at the Human Action Bash live and in person with the one and only Tom Woods. Tom. Hey, Mark. Pleasure to finally meet you in person. Likewise. Talked a couple times on Skype. And uh, the strangest thing to me, actually, that's happened to me this entire week is when Tom Woods recognized me. <laughs> that's when things got really surreal for me here at the uh, LNC and at the Human Action Bash. But, uh, Tom, i got to ask that. Well, we're going to make it pretty quick because I know we all want to go watch Eric July backwards in a few minutes. But uh, what actually brought you out here to, uh, to this Human Action Bash? You haven't really been involved in the Libertarian Party, but now there is this Mises Caucus who's trying to, I guess, sort of bring the spirit of Ron Paul and that the Liberty Movement back into the Libertarian Party. So uh, what brings you here yourself? Well, I mean, I've spoken at a lot of Libertarian events in the Libertarian Party events in the past. I spoke at the 2016 convention, as well as many state events. In fact, the, the state convention in Illinois, Regina attended with me years ago when she was not even, I think, quite 10 years old, actually. So Starting the brainwashing early. I've so. been, <laughs> <laughs> um, and they were so wonderful to her. They treated her like a queen. Um, so I, I feel like I have, and, and maybe I would be more involved in it if I, f you know, felt a little more welcome. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but look, if you're involved in libertarianism, you do have some investment in a party called the Libertarian Party. That's what you're all about. And there's a there are people going around on television who are portraying themselves as belonging to what you believe in. So you you know you're going to have investment, just like. Um, Conservatives may have, whether they're political or not, have a vested interest in what's going on in the Republican Party because it, you know, their name is kind of on the line. So I just, and the thing is, I haven't done that much public speaking the past few years. I used to be everywhere. I, I traveled everywhere like a nut. Oh, you're busy. You got podcasts. And yeah, five yeah, days but, a week. but but also, I mean, I just decided. I, I just uh, it got to be kind of a grind after a while, mm -hmm. and 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 now what I do is I, I used to. To, to make a living, I had to, well, if your university will pay uh, X amount, then I'll come speak. Now it's more a question of do I want to do it? Right. And it, whether, now that's, now now no one's going to want to pay me anymore now that they hear this, but. <laughs> but you just got to sell them on it. I've become, become more, uh, like with this thing, I thought, I said, look, I'm going to waive my fee because I just feel like I need to be at this thing. Like the, what's happening here is important and it's. It's some upstart young kids who just believe in the ideas, and they're up against big money that wants to, I think, that wants to manipulate the Libertarian Party in certain directions. And these upstart kids are just saying, you know what, the ideas still matter, and we're going to prove that. And I thought, regardless of the money, I need to be at this thing. 
Well, speaking of money, and uh, you kind of you never mentioned anyone by name during the amazing speech that you I gave did, earlier. I'm a very but, gracious person. But you did kind of give a, a little warning because a lot of what I hear about, well, I'll say his name, uh, about Bill Weld and why he, they, a lot of people in the party want him to come in there is because he brings a lot of big money. And that's actually something you warned against, that, that being a problem. So a lot of people would say, well, what's, what's the problem with Bill Weld coming in and using his connections to bring more money to the party? What could be wrong about that? Well, I guess my question would be, in this day and age, what would big money see in the Libertarian Party? And, f- and for a long time, I, I, one of my arguments used to be, if the Libertarian Party really is the party that the capitalists all favor, then how come they never donate to the Libertarian Party? <laughs> you know, like the, What they want to donate to are parties that are going to get them special advantages of one sort or another. But I feel like in this day and age, big money, okay, once in a while you get a, a great ideological donor who just wants what's best for the world. But more often, big money means we know you're in our pocket. Mm-hmm. We know you'll do what we want you to do. And we know you'll y- your aim of your campaign will be to shift the vote in the way we want it to go. And I feel like in this day and age, the kind of money that would be brought in should be more of a red flag than a selling point. I mean, if the guy were really saying end the Fed right. and end all the subsidies and, and bring and the, the money and the Correct. warfare state, I don't think the big money would be coming. I mean, didn't, wasn't that a funny headline we saw a few weeks ago about – um, the stock prices of defense contractors going way down in the wake of the the prospect of peace with North Korea. I mean, okay, oh, well, heavens. it really happens. There, there, it turns out there really is a connection right, between these things. Right. And uh, you mentioned in your, in your speech also that you really feel if there's going to be a libertarian party, there's going to be libertarian presidential candidates, that they should really focus on just a number of key issues. Like you said, you don't need everybody in the country to read For New Liberty or read all of Rothbard's books or fully necessarily understand all of the concepts to, to get a, a good, solid libertarian movement going. So if you were in charge, I don't like the term in charge, we're libertarians here, but if you could sort of direct things in the libertarian party, what would those key positions be that you would want to focus on and hammer home? Well, I would think what are issues where that are, that are really low-hanging fruit and that are being neglected but that are really important? So war and foreign policy is great because everybody's bad on it. Nobody's, almost nobody is consistent on that front. And if you get any criticism of the foreign policy, it's very restrained. It's, it's, it's restricted to just one intervention that somebody doesn't right. like. As well, the Iraq the war system. might have been a mistake. Yeah, maybe or, that, or we shouldn't do this, but we should bomb that one. And you never get a systematic, this is wrong, we're not doing this anymore. Right. I mean, if the Libertarian Party can't be super consistent and clear on that, well, then what's the point? Uh, then Ron Paul showed that the Fed can be a winning issue. You don't have to make the Fed your only issue, but again, nobody else is talking about it. And... You know, well, Bill, we, Wed, Bill Weld did mention he might tweak a couple small things about the Federal but Reserve. He, but he <laughs> supports the major mission of the right. Fed. I mean, it's just embarrassing. So, you know, issues like that, or just as, as Jeff Dice said today, get people thinking about state power. Like here we are all up in arms about the Supreme Court. And nobody's asking, doesn't this show, doesn't this prove definitively that the state has too much of a grip on our personal lives, that it matters to us? That one person on the court may change? One person and we're all terrified? I mean, what does that say about the power that those uh, men yeah, in funny gee, robes If, if only somebody had been warning about this for 80 years, you know? <laughs> if only there had been an ideology that had been warning that this is a bad idea, right. you know? Right. Well, Tom, uh, like I said, we want to make this quick. We want to go watch backwards. Don't want to miss too much of the show. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you the one question. After your amazing, amazing speech, we did, did get a uh, standing ovation. 
I've heard a little bit of chatter. Uh, a few people said something along the lines of President Woods. I don't know. Uh, I know you've been very reluctant to uh, to say anything about this, but I know that there are a lot of people that would love to see you on a debate stage saying the things that you said today. And I see your daughter smiling and nodding her head over here a little bit, by the way. <laughs> so uh, would you ever consider running for office in the Libertarian Party and saying some of those things that you said today on a stage across from someone like I wouldn't because I'll tell you there are too many jerks gunning for me where I would be on the defensive all the time and it would be it wouldn't be good for anybody. Hundred percent no. Hundred percent no. But I would be very glad to counsel someone who does want okay. to do it. Okay. And by the way, I thought Scott Horton did an excellent job today. Amazing. I thought he looked he was just fantastic yeah. the way he laid things out. It's been a great event. Okay. I would support Horton twenty twenty. Okay. Well, there you heartbeat. go. Now you got Tom Woods trying to harpoon somebody else. The <laughs> yeah, that's right. The chain of harpoons. Yeah, yeah. and then you got to bring in Scott and see who gets harpooned. <laughs> well, next. hopefully we're going to have Scott next in a little bit after he sells some books. But Tom, it's been an absolute pleasure. All right, thanks for Mark. those of you listening. It sounds like there's not going to be any harpooning of Tom Woods directly, but um, it sounds like he's interested in maybe being involved. So we'll but, take that. But you can at least get a free ebook at Tom's free ebook. Books. There you go. <laughs> Always end with a plug. Thanks a lot, Tom. I appreciate it. Take care. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed all of those conversations I was able to get at the Human Action Bash. I'm going to keep this short because I got a convention to get to. And uh, not only am I going to be doing interviews at the convention, I was actually named as a delegate uh, not too long before I left here. So I've got a, a lot on my plate uh, coming up today in the next couple days here uh, in NOLA. Uh, I don't want you to forget, of course, to A, continue to uh, listen to all the shows on this podcast feed. You get Brian McWilliams every single Wednesday with Electric Liberty Land hitting you with a dose of comedy, culture, and liberty as well as John Odermatt wrapping things up on Fridays with Felony Friday. Uh, But continue to look at this feed because you will get more content as I'm able to record more content here at the Libertarian National Convention. And of course, for those of us who are our supporters on Patreon, they get all this content first. They got all the human action interviews on Saturday night. I came to the hotel room, even though I really wanted to go hit Bourbon Street right away. I came to the hotel and edited this all together uh, for our Patreon supporters because uh, you know they, you guys put out your money for us, so uh, we put in the extra mile to get you content a little bit earlier. And uh, But for the rest of you, I hope you enjoyed uh, getting this stuff on Monday and getting all the great content we're continuing to get from the Libertarian National Convention. Until next time, kids, live long and live free.